Hey there, it's Jenny Harold. Welcome to this episode of Dreams with Deadlines. Let's jump in. It is so great having you on the show today, Michaela. Thanks for being on Dreams with Deadlines. Thank you for having me. Really excited for our chat today. Okay. We're going to talk about the challenges of scale, which you're in a fast-growing startup. I'm in a fast-growing startup. This is something we know about. So a lot of us probably maybe are familiar with Reid Hoffman, Masters of Scale podcast. He also wrote Blitzscaling. He also built LinkedIn. And he said, you really only build something amazing when you hit the scale problem. Can you describe some of the challenges that Personio faced when you started to scale? Yeah, absolutely. So I think I need to preface this with saying that I think I joined the company when we were very much at the, let's say, uh, beginning of that of those challenges. So I joined Personio where we were around 700 employees. And my feeling, at least coming in, was that you could really feel that some of the structures that had worked until then were working, but starting to give in, right? So you could feel a little bit the cracks of still having the same house that housed 300, 400, 500 people now hosting 700. And you could really start to feel that. Yeah, I think really around the processes, that's where I would say would be the the biggest one. So really around the processes, you, you really got the feeling that they needed a revamp. So then how did those challenges in particular, where the processes started to break down, impact communication, alignment, the overall effectiveness of Personio being able to do what it needed to do? Yeah. And I think OKRs is, I think, a really good example of that because I think it's just harder. So I think let's approach it maybe from, I think, three chapters that I always like to think about is people, process, technology. So we can start with, let's say, actually the, the people. Number one is at some point when you're growing, you probably know somebody in each department, right? You need something and then it's easy to know who the subject matter expert is on a particular tool because they implement it on or on a process, right? If I have a customer facing question, I can go to somebody that's probably sitting just behind me. And once you start growing and specifically when you hit the mark that you don't really know everyone, it starts to get harder. So I think that's the people aspect of scaling. Processes are similar. So I think a lot of things I used to rely on being able to tell each other mouth to mouth, right? That gets lost. And so there's a lot of all of the sudden documentation is really necessary and maintaining it and transferring information and being concise and all of that stuff that before it could have been just turning around and saying, hey, do you know how we do this again? Can you show me? All of a sudden that's just, it's different. It's a different world. And technology being the third one, same, right? So whereas something could be a little bit more hacky, you could implement something that you could quickly show somebody. Maybe you're trying to, for us, you know, KRs, it's a good example of how we used to use Google Sheets, right? And it worked. And so long as there were just a few sheets going around connected to each other, that was fine, right? I think at the moment that I joined, OKRs were hosted around, I think, 22 sheets. And it was just really hard to have the right visibility and alignment. And yeah, it was a system that was there because it worked. But as it scaled, you could just see the cracks starting to take place. For sure. I think a lot of folks would call that refactoring. I, and that makes sense. So when we've talked before, you mentioned like the importance of executive sponsorship. How did you ensure that the executives were fully engaged and supportive of the OKR initiative? And what impact did their involvement have on the overall scaling of your OKR program? Yeah, I, I am super lucky that actually 
OKRs have been part of Personio's DNA since the beginning, right? So they were being used for already a long time. And I felt like I didn't have to go through the tough process of introducing it in a way. However, with that said, we were growing so fast that we had the initial executive sponsorship, but it felt like every time we were onboarding, we, we doubled the company from 700 to 1,500. I believe it was something like a year and a half or something like that. So you constantly had to keep the keep keep the drum going. At some point, you kept onboarding people. So whilst we had that initial executive sponsorship, there was a need to keep doing that. And so how did we go about it? I think there's very simple, let's say, information flows of really making sure that the planning is going smoothly, that they're seeing it as supportive. I think we were very, we were very con uh, conscious of embedding the OKR process into our existing timelines. So what I mean by that is, for example, at Personio, we have a weekly all-team meeting. So every Thursday we meet as an entire company. And so what we wanted to do was to embed some of the cadences that we had around OKRs into that meeting. So it was great. We got the executive sponsorship to do that. We got the okay to say, yes, every half a year we can have an OKR retro as an entire company. And that was super helpful because all of a sudden you get the okay, not only to do this, but to embed it into the flow and working style of something that people are already used to. So it's something that, that really, I would say the sponsorship and the, the check mark of, yes, this is important. It's worth our people's time. It's worth all of us as a company looking at it together. I think that's crucial. I, it would have been really hard to A, set it up, B, evolve it, right? Because evolutions of something need iterations and it needs time and it needs care. And you can't really do that if, some, if you don't have, let's say, sponsorship behind you saying, yes, this is worthy. This is what we want to do. And we stand behind it. So a lot of folks may not know that you have a really deep background, actually, in customer success. Could you share some of the insights that you've experienced in managing change and fostering adoption within the organization with that kind of CX lens? For example, maybe there were points of friction or resistance and you're like, what do we do so that we can overcome this so that we can change the behaviors, which is ultimately what we're doing when we work in CX? Absolutely. So yeah, so interestingly, I find how I found myself, let's say in this role is I actually started my first uh, role ever was as a customer success manager. I was working at Salesforce at a time. And so actually a lot of my time was spent getting to thinking of how it is that you get people that used to work one way, working another way. <laughs> That's uh, really behind it. And you can call it adoption, change management. Like there's a lot of constructs behind it, but ultimately it's really this idea of not only because something is, something can be good, a technology can be good, a process can be good. However, changing from something that feels comfortable into something that may be better, but feels strange is really difficult. And so I don't think I realized at the time when I was doing this as a CSM, how much it would help me also in different roles. So after that, I went on to a strategy and operations team. So I got to essentially help the CSMs at my previous company to, to help their customers. And then when I landed in Personia as a business manager for the customer experience organization, I also inherited this OKR mandate, which I actually took over for yeah, around about a year and a half now uh, that's centrally managed, but 
throughout that time from 700 to 1,500 employees, I looked after it and I realized how handy it came, right? It, it came in handy to know, oof, we're working this way. I feel like we need to evolve the way that we do OKRs. We're going to need to make some changes. How do we, how are people going to adopt it? How do we change, right? For example, this sheets thing, it might not have been ideal, but people knew it, right? And getting people to say, step out of this thing, uh, let's change it into a different way of working. It, it, you have to approach that, in my opinion, very intentionally. You have to go into change very intentionally. You mentioned resistance then. And yeah, th there were a few points here and there. I think there's different iterations, right? But what I always think, what, what I always try to bring into that is this aspect of listening, of not, if, if you hear concerns, sometimes we have a knee-jerk reaction of just telling people how those concerns will be addressed straight away. I worry about this. Oh, you don't need to worry. <laughs> <laughs> that can be a, I think it comes naturally as a reaction, but in the long term, I think a lot of time you need to spend, is well spent if you just hear out the concerns, identify where there's potential points of resistance and yeah, work on addressing them, but also at some point, if you've addressed them, if you've listened, if you've put something behind it, there's also a time that you need to learn to let go and also go ahead. So I think resistance is its own topic um, that we can talk about, but that would be my my first reaction there. <laughs> oh, for sure. So you mentioned when you joined the company, OKRs are already in place. How did you perceive the role of OKRs within the context of a fast-growing organization when you held the charge of getting it from adoption 750 employees to now 1,500 employees? That's like doubling in size if I do my math. What did you think the role of OKRs were as you started to establish it when you doubled? Yeah, I, I'm not sure... I'm not sure how much it's changed. So I remember, I think I still have, and, and I think they live up, right? One thing that I really liked when I came in is the reason why we used OKRs were very clear. And I think they stand today, they probably mean different things. Number one is to help us focus, right? I really like this idea of, to me, they shouldn't, I, I often hear, oh, they should tell you what to do. No, they're telling you what not to do. <laughs> But it's really this idea, and I'm sure if for any startups out there or any company where like you're trying to figure out what, you probably have too many things that you could do. So many things, so many good ideas, good paths that you could take, and you're not yet quite sure which one is the one that's going to get you there. So there is a sense of, I would almost say fear of missing out, of missing opportunities if you don't go for it. That idea is exactly, I think, where OKRs can come in handy to say, Yes, all of these good ideas are on the table. We have a limited amount of time and resources. What are we going to do? So that idea of focus, it, it really stands. Then there's also this idea of autonomy and ownership, right? So of really putting behind, so putting behind teams that are really empowered and able to carry out those priorities. And for example, at Personio, we have different let's say different teams coming up with similar flavors of the same challenge, right? And if you don't really crack down, so first of all, we've decided this is an issue or something to address, we have focus, great. Now, do we have mandate? Do we know who's going to lead this? That doesn't mean that other people don't get involved, but who's going to lead it? So I think a good example was, for instance, some months back, we were thinking about a... Uh, competencies for our employees, competencies frameworks. Different departments were coming up with the need of, hey, we want to be able to uh, develop and grow our employees and tell them which kind of skills and competencies they can work on to, to develop and to succeed. 
this came from different parts of the organization, but ultimately it was really down to our uh, people department to help put something together into an OKR that we could develop it. And then all of the departments could help and plug in. So again, you have to focus, you have the mandate. We gave you empower them, give them the ownership to, to go through it by highlighting it as a priority OKR. Then the next one is really around stretch and innovation. So it's really this idea of, we know we want to do something. What would it look like if, what would it look like to get there? And what would it look like to do even a little bit more? So it's really creating room for an ambitious goal that even if we don't get all the way to that ambition, it's our CPO said something, chief product and technology officer said something recently that I really liked, which is your goal is the cap that you set yourself. So that's as whatever goal you set, that's where you're going to look towards. So like, how do we embed it already into the way that we do framing of goals to have those be stretched so we can, so we're not placing our cap too low on ourselves. <laughs> Let's put it that way. I really like that. That's a nice reframe. And this idea, I think overall about stretch and innovation, I think stretch is like a proxy for innovation in a way, right? Because we're breaking this idea down if we need to be innovative. And there's a ton of different ways you can do that. You can do that with your product. You can do it with your pricing and packaging. You can do it with your service delivery. And then how is everyone going to be involved in making these adjustments so that they can do better for the customer? And those are pockets of innovation that we kind of guys as stretch, which I think is why both of you and I like OKRs. So <laughs> stretch innovation, got it. Focus makes sense. I would assume transparency as well. Exactly. That's our fourth and last one, which is alignment and transparency. And so I think alignment is could sound self-explanatory, but I think it's really this idea of it's not too different to what I mentioned before around different departments having different flavors of the same problem. Like, how do you make sure that, A, we're not working in silos where we may be doing completely duplicate work and imagine everybody does their own competency framework, right? That's a ton of duplicative work. So that's one of them. And then also transparency. So being very open about, and here we have a very specific policy, everything's open at Personio. We have them, you can go into any team before you talk to them and try to see, okay, I'm about to talk to, I don't know, I'm looking into a new tool that I think could say, could help the sales team. Let me see what their metrics are. What are they focusing in the next six months and see where it could fit and be interesting, right? That's the kind of that having transparency into what other teams are placing as priorities works or even for the opposite sometimes, right? So it can also be that, again, there's a lot of cool stuff going on, but that if we really need to reduce or focus a little bit more, we can say, this is interesting. We can look into it from the next OKR perspective. As of now, it really does not make sense with what we're trying to do. So it's just going to be a conflict, right? So it's really helping that transparency to help that focus. Because ultimately, I just said four things. If we had to, in the spirit of focus is the focus. <laughs> focus is the focus. Okay, we'll talk about scaling OKRs. I think this is the fun part. When we scale business, we tend to think about refactoring people, the organization, or our principles, and you mentioned processes as we go. You're always considering and anticipating that you're going to need to refactor something. What does it mean to scale OKRs when you're thinking about what you've done to basically double the adoption? So following your trail of thought with people, there has to come, in my opinion, a time in which 
you you understand that it OKRs will have different flavors within your organization. That it'll be really hard centrally to have this one point of contact that can tell you whether your OKR is good or not. And in doing that, there's also then a, a journey that you go on or or I feel like I went on as the owner of this, which is I don't necessarily know what a good OKR looks like for certain departments. So I I'm reporting into the customer experience department and there I feel very comfortable and I can I can really challenge or I can say this are we being innovative are we being innovative enough are we stretching ourselves enough or is this written in a way that's really outcome framed I can do that very well for CX but the more that we grow can I do that for product can I tell can I go up to a product manager and telling it it gets really hard right so and saying for example for finance or for legal it, it gets difficult so you need to find a way of not having the expertise of OKRs reliant on one person. And this is where we actually already had a network that we called uh, OKR Champions. So this was uh, an embedded network of, I remember I said there were 22 sheets at the time. This is because we had, let's say, 22 teams doing OKRs. Um, At Personio, we do OKRs at a company level, department level, and team level. And each team, yeah, each team had a, an OKR champion assigned and they really helped a lot with mostly the admin element of it. So really trying to pull the timelines together, making sure that everything got delivered on time, showcasing it sometimes at fairs. I can talk about the fairs a little bit later, but in some of the cadences that we had ready to share some of this. And they were doing good work and we already had it in place, but in my feeling at a time, I felt we're not leveraging them enough. Like they need to become a key part of the scaling process in a way that, again, remember where I was saying, you're, you're getting the cracks of that house that wasn't built for that scale. Like we need to start giving them their own houses. <laughs> we can't all live like this. We're not a cult. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a hundred percent. There's a multi-tenancy <laughs> we're building up. But yeah, so how to do that? And I think... That was one of the, from my perspective, most interesting parts of really shifting this OKR champion group from a group that helped execute to a group that absolutely helped execute. That was part of the remit. But how do I go from just having them help execute to essentially becoming subject matter experts on OKRs that they can then go and feel comfortable to challenge their leads OKRs, comfortable to know and say what best practice looks like in terms of writing them, right? How can they own what the ultimate output of those OKRs are for their team? So adding to the layer of admin that was the OKR champion role, adding really this level of subject matter expertise, and that came with its own challenges as well. Oh, I can only imagine. We're going to take a short break. You are listening to Dreams with Deadlines, the podcast that brings you real stories of trials and victories in business, brought to you by Quantive. Quantive is a strategy execution platform that helps organizations create greater strategic agility and excel at execution. With more than 2,000 customers, Quantive helps companies close the gap between strategy and execution to achieve their best possible. And now, back to the show. 
So we've, I feel like we're beating a dead horse, like it's being kicked right now, but we're going to keep going with it. One of the things about scale is that what got you here is not what is going to get you there. Like we're talking about their cracks in the house are showing multi-tenancy is not working for us. Beyond scaling yourself uh, so that other people who had core competencies with their specific teams to be able to help them define, let's say, better OKRs or stronger OKRs, what other elements do you need to scale OKRs? Okay, so following, let's say, just to keep the same chapter. So we've talked about people, I can get into processes a little bit more. And yeah, so I think the processes was interesting. There were really two sides that we felt needed to evolve. Number one is embedding OKRs into a wider, let's say, set of processes or that are happening and timelines that are happening within the company. So at some point when we, the more that we mature, the more that we realized, okay, we have some strategic reviews happening at company level. We have OKRs, we have a financial and budgeting timeline. How do all of this feed into each other? This was quite interesting. So it was around the same time that I joined, maybe around six months later, that we had the first time that all of those became the inputs and outputs of each other. So ideally, we really set things in a sequential manner so we could have strategic, longer term strategy reviews that uh, we could use as input to produce a first version of OKRs. That first version of OKRs then could go to finance that could understand, okay, based on what we're trying to do in the next period, how do we set ourselves for the next year? And then also based on that, we could finish up OKR. So it was the first time that we had different processes that are interdependent on each other, really layering. And so that was, that was from my perspective, super interesting. So to see not only to look after my own puzzle piece, but to see it in, in connection to the others and really you know, pushing the company from, in that case, I remember, I think it was November, 2021, and you could really see it, how it pushed the company from one year to the next, right? It was quite literally sailing the, the course. So that was, that was definitely one aspect of processes. The other one was cadences. So I mentioned briefly the OKR affair before. And the way that we structure our OKR cycle is we have half yearly cycles and essentially they all get kicked off what, by what we call an OKR fair. I wish I could claim uh, that one, but this was already there when I joined and I love this idea. And it's the idea that uh, when we kicked off OKRs, we would quite literally host a fair in our offices in which all of the teams would put together a display of what they were going to be working on in the next six months. Get, uh, get pizzas, get drinks, and essentially walk around and hear from your fellow teams and make an event out of it. Oh, I wish I had joined at that time. It really looks, to a nerd like me, so fun. <laughs> For someone who likes pizza too, that looks that sounds delicious to me. <laughs> How can you go wrong? People, pizza. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yes. Um, winning combination. <laughs> but clearly, you couldn't do that anymore because I think you mentioned that COVID hit, everyone had to go remote, and your team was scaling all at the same time. So this idea of people, pizza, and OKRs in this fair in a single building was not going to happen. What did you do? Not only that, but by the time that the world had changed again, we all of a sudden had offices in five different countries. So yeah, yeah. you're going to fly <laughs> everyone in every half year operationally because we have money to burn like that. So we did flow by the idea of getting people on computers and walking them around, but <laughs> let's get started. <laughs> really discarded it. No, jokes aside, we moved 
first, we, we tried a few things and I think they were all fun. We moved the fair virtually. So we actually got into some virtual boards. We got like layouts of our offices, actually had like virtual booths so people could walk around. Whoa. Yeah, that was quite a fun one. But even then we felt by the time that happened, I think we were at like 25 teams or so. Again, we were realizing it didn't scale. So whereas before you could go, hey, I'm in CX and I want to go to the, I don't know, to the peop to the people's teams booth. What happens when people itself has seven? <laughs> How do you pick that up? Relevant? It gets even that just got really logistically hard. So we tried it. We went virtual for a moment and then we had to we had to rethink. Another time we did a treasure hunt, and I'm going to speak about this a little bit more in depth uh, when we get to the technology part, but uh, we ended up introducing a uh, software, Quantif. And actually, the way that we launched it really coincided with the OKR Fair. And we thought, wouldn't it be cool if we put together these two concepts of you can now go and see what your fellow teams are doing. And at the same time, you can get to know this new app that's going to allow for that. And so we framed it as, and we really used it going back to my CSM background and adoption. For me, it was an adoption campaign. Mm -hmm. How do we get people on for the first time, break that barrier, really gamify it? And so we made up a funny story. I, I think I made up a story of how our leadership had locked away our, our strategy in some safe and like we needed to get the keys in, in Quantive in order to open it up again and find our strategies. And we had some prizes, which just made it fun. But the idea was that same thing, right? Because at the end of the day, you need to think, what are you trying to do with this? And what we were trying to do with the OKR Affair was that people became familiar with what other teams were up to. Absolutely. So there was a treasure hunt at one point. That was fun. <laughs> um, and then with the problem with that one was that, is that if we gamified it, we needed to assume what we wanted other people to see, right? Because we needed to walk people down a specific path. And so where we've landed now, and that's our last iteration, is actually, once again, can I figure out what's right for every team? No. Do we have someone that can? Yes. So we told our champions, we said, hey, your team best. And you also know whose input your team can most value. So what we do now is that we essentially present, uh, we have the champions present sessions back to their teams, where through Quantif, they just pick out what are the top teams uh, that they collaborate with. And essentially they're in charge of walking their teams through those teams OKRs. So if I'm, for example, in CX, right, in let's say, for example, a customer support team, I'll pick maybe here's what our implementation team will be focusing on. Here's how our product team that helps us with when, whenever there's bugs, for example, that's what they'll be working on. So the champion's really empowered to choose and to be the subject matter expert for their own team. And that's how we do it today. That's really cool how it evolved over time and you experimented with a lot of different things because it sounded like you were really like, how do we refactor this? So we talked about the people, we talked about kind of the processes. What about the principles? Did any of the underlying principles behind your OKR program change or evolve as you scaled to the 1,500 employees at some point? You know what? Not really. That's what I thought. Yeah. That's what I thought. Good. And I think that sentiment to it's robustness in a way. And again, when I joined and to today, it's all about focus. It's about ownership and autonomy. It's about stretch and innovation. It's about alignment and transparency. And that's the same, the, the ways that we go about it again. So we always use the OKRs fair as transparency, right? That's changed how we are transparent changed. 
but we are still and, and it's still in every iteration that we do that principle is still there the principle that it should help us focus is still there and probably if you have worked with me on okrs what you've heard me say time and time again is if we were to cut one more what would we cut like constantly trying to prioritize and yeah so i would say in general no and it speaks to the robustness how we go about those principles and how we embed those principles into the process that has changed okay so i think that's so fascinating you've mentioned some of the ceremonies already can you dive more deeply into this the, you covered it briefly you've got these strategic priorities that feed into departmental okrs i believe then those come back up to the ops teams basically to say how are we going to fund this thing and then they have some sort of budget allocation it sounds like for the next period of time, maybe it's a year. And then that gets back down to the teams to say, okay, we've settled on these departmental OKRs teams. How are you going to respond? And then after that, you work out with your now 22 OKR champions. Is that right? A bit more by now. Yeah. A bit more by now. I think we have around 40 at the, at the moment. 40 OKR champions <laughs> that are doing this kind of locally for their teams and their adjacent teams. Are there any other ceremonies or practices that you believe have really helped solidify OKRs as part of the way that you work? Because that effectively is what you've enabled is this is just a part of what we do. And that's really hard for people to get to. So I think our listeners would be very interested to hear, are there anything else, any other attributes that are like, Michaela, what do we do with this? Yeah, so... Let me go uh, keeping with the company and then I'll go into best practices that I've seen because yes. uh, more of them, more, more of the ones that I think are extremely helpful happen at the team level. And I will just not claim any of that accountability. That's all down to the champions. And I learned so much from them. So companies, so just to finish up in the OKR fair, we said what we're going to do then at the end of a period, so at the end of the half year, we'll do a retro, how did we do? And halfway through, we have a halfway check-in, right? Where we, the prompt is, how are we doing? Do we feel like we need to change course or not? So that's very much what we do as a company. And all of those are embedded within the old teams that I spoke about before. But that's almost, those dates are actually set for the beginning of the year. We set them, we know that's happening. That's how we build our timeline. Now, how do we keep that? We always say we don't want OKRs to be a submarine, right? So like they disappear for three months, they pop up for the halftime show and then they go back down. <laughs> that we want them to, we want there to be a constant thread. And that's why the champions I find are extremely helpful. So some big practices that I've heard is, for instance, I know that in some teams are embedded in team newsletters. So for example, on a monthly basis, the champions can work on highlighting. Some of them do an overview of, hey, here's where all of our team OKRs are at, or you can have a KR of the month or things like that, that essentially help the team become, yeah, become accustomed to the rhythm of OKRs popping up and really surfacing the priorities. So not only saying, hey, this will be a priority, actually following up quite consistently through time, telling the teams how they are doing. That's one that I really liked. Yeah, and the next one is maybe a little bit less flashy, but I think it's one of the ones that it just works, which is allocating capacity team. Yes, sounds exciting. <laughs> but what I really mean here is that, for instance, if you're going to have a company OKR that demands a lot of people's time, right, from diff across different departments, people that are not used to working together, maybe projects that only tangently talk match their day-to-day -day jobs, 
that needs to be very much allocated for. And when you have an OKR, something that we have already agreed is of company-wide importance. That's just a lot of a different use case than somebody coming in and saying, hey, I need help with this, right? It's a very different way of framing where we say, hey, this thing that it's part of the four things that we really want to get right in the next six months. There's somebody from your team whose expertise we need. That resounds very differently as a business case than just going around asking for people's time without with without that prioritization in the back. I love that. I think the idea, how many times do we say things like, hey, go do your OKRs, and oh, by the way, you have to do all the keep the lights on stuff too, but your max capacity on the things that our business is usual and keep the lights on. And we're like, why aren't you moving your OKRs? It's because they didn't have the time or the resources or the, even the energy probably to be able to do that. So you need to allocate for that. That's a, it seems obvious, but I think we need to state it out loud because I think sometimes things that are obvious need to be repeated. Yeah. Or I think there's just like a volume theme as well, which is like, uh, if, if you have, if, if anybody can come up with priorities, then they're not priorities anymore. So I think there's something about a almost like certifiable way of saying, you know, we've agreed that this is important. If it's important and we want it to work, we need the right, we know the, the, we need the capacity on it. And that's what the OKR frames and check-ins help to do. Do we have the right things in place to make this goal happen? So you're now at, you took it from 750 to 1500 people. Where are you at now with kind of the OKR program? Is it more steady state these days? Like, What does this look like today? Yeah, actually, so th that was a little bit my journey. At the moment at Personia, we're around 1,800 folks. And the reason that I stopped at 1,500 is because that's when I handed over, let's say, the company-wide program to Marcus from our side, who leads it now. I am still very involved when it comes to CX OKRs and data OKRs. That's around 450 personas right there. So not, nothing to, <laughs> yeah. Nothing to scoff at. That's still big impact. Exactly. And maybe that's actually a good sign of, uh, it is more steady state, I would say. I think we are not, our house is dealing with us fine for the moment. The house that we've built is, is sound. But uh, what we are saying a lot more is, I would say, two trends. Number one, more emphasis going inside the departments. Like I said, customer experience, for example, were a good number of people. And so a lot of the coordination that only needed to happen at the company level will now need to happen also at the department level because we are just struggling a lot more teams and priorities and so on. So I think that's like the operations of it are moving away from the company level to the department levels. That's, that's certainly one trend that I see. And the other trend that I see a lot is around collaboration. And I think OKRs have always been about that level of alignment, but it's more and more needed because in a world in which we want every team to be empowered to do what they need to do and get going, we also don't want to be pointing five ladders into different sides of the world, right? So we need to make sure that we have, that we have a thread in place, putting them all together. Otherwise, we're just going to be reach, trying to reach the same goal, but pointing in different directions. Nobody wants that. So I, I really see OKRs nowadays being a lot more cross-functional than they used to be. So whereas I think before the it was like, oh, we want to do this. Let's see who else wants to do this. I think, it, which is more of a reactive approach to collaboration, I, I see us now being extremely mindful from the beginning of even asking ourselves, this is a need. Are we the right people to address this need? Are we the right team? Who else would need to be involved? 
does this need to be our OKR or does it need to be somebody else's OKR that we play into? So being very mindful about how we structure OKRs to optimize for cross-functional collaboration. That's pretty epic. Okay, we're going to end talking about OKR champions because you've built this network and it's glorious. And then we'll go into quick fire questions. For you, you were CX and then you were okay, the OKR kind of champion of champions across your organization. Is it true that has continued to persist where it is an additional responsibility for, there's a primary responsibility and there's an additional responsibility for your OKR champions? Because there's two paths. I'm starting to see in the market where organizations are hiring with business op team specific OKR champions, and that's what they do. That's their job. But it sounds like in Personio, this is just one of the hats that you wear. Absolutely. Okay. And I think that gets me to maybe something that we haven't spoken about yet is why would somebody do this? Mm. Right. And that's what I why? wanted. That's what I wanted <laughs> yeah. to ask and land on. It's like, why? If it's an yeah. additional responsibility, why would they do that? It's an additional responsibility. And honestly, I really think when I arrived, I remember having that question. It's like, why? Especially when it was very admin heavy. Mm-hmm. And I, that was what I was going around. I was like, why, why are they doing it? And the honest answer, I think, is because we have really cool company-focused people that saw the value and said, hey, let's do it. And that's amazing. Uh, but at the same time, I really thought, okay, we're going to need to also, on top of that, it's great that people want to help out and wear another hat, but they also, why would they be doing this for if it's not directly related to the role? And what we're trying to do more and more, and I've seen some examples of how this works really well, especially in certain pockets, uh, but we're trying to make being an OKR champion uh, a stretch exercise. So by being part of the OKR network, for instance, a lot of what we'll do is like share um, champion expertise. So I always say if we have somebody that's perhaps already performing quite well at their role, they have an inclination for anything strategy related and want to get their toes a little bit deeper into really learning how planning happens, helping how management sets objectives, how they get trickled down from one level to the next. All of that's essentially what the champion gets to. So that was also part of the 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 idea behind giving them more ownership because frankly then the job is cooler and the experience that you have is better and you can take that to your next role or potentially you can use it as um, a learning towards a potential strategy role that you may want to take or operations role or even a management role it's a huge part of management being able to do this get a wide face of a white paper of here's everything that we could do how do we focus what we can do into a way that fits both what our teams need our customers need but also our management need to achieve company objectives so that was a lot of how we framed the, the OKR champion role as something that gives you an opportunity to elevate your career and to get skills that maybe you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't have in your day-to-day jobs in the spirit of essentially making a jump into either a new skill set or even potentially at some other stage of your career. And for instance, in some teams, what I only heard of later that it made me quite proud is that I know there's teams at Personia where there's people have to put together a case, a business case for their leader in order to become a champion, right? So the leaders will take it seriously because they're really picking a sparing partner from their team, somebody that can really challenge them and can really help them come up with, it's not a small task to come up with what we're going to focus on the next six months. And so it really creates this idea in which folks can be very purposeful about, okay, what does it give me if I pursue this? Why would I want to do it? And how would I go about it? And actually get to the stage where you have a couple of people putting a small case together. I think that's super cool. I think that's super cool too. I think, so 
when you're working in a, a growth phased startup, what often happens are people who were there in the early days who remember what it used to be like, feel like they know less over time because they're not in those conversations anymore. There are other people that are doing those things. And so what it sounds like is happening is there is a really interesting, I'll use it as the word hack to bring people back into kind of the inner sanctum into what is actually happening, why decisions are being made before they're actually finalized. And so it sounds like the OKR champion role within Personio is an opportunity for somebody who is a high performer that is killing it in their role to have an opportunity to understand the inner workings of the business. And that has intrinsic value because there's so much learning that can happen when you're basically shadowing somebody who's making the final call. I think that's cool. Okay. So we're going to go into quick fire questions. I love this. It's been a great conversation so far. What is your dream with the deadline though, Michaela? That's what I want to know. So I actually completed it this year. My dream with the deadline was to have a poetry book to give up as a present to my loved ones last Christmas. And when I said it, I didn't know I could do it. And the time came and I had it and I gave it and it made me so proud. <laughs> that is, I didn't know you were a poet. That's lovely. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what advice would you give folks who are scaling their OKR program? Get exec sponsorship and if you want to go far, go together. There's no point on rushing through it and not having people on board. Get the sponsorship, get the people you need, get people on board, and then you can get going. What would you say is the most impactful lesson learned, maybe even failure if you want to share, insight you've gained from your experience in scaling OKRs at Personio? If you had to pick one, you're like, ooh. You won't always know what the right thing is for the right pocket of the organization. So focus more effort, like centrally shift your focus to training the OKR network or whatever network of experts that you have. Your central efforts should be on that so they can make those choices rather than be creating a very rigid set of rules and, and things that you can and cannot do because otherwise you're going to end up becoming your own bottleneck. Mm, good advice. This has been a wonderful conversation, Michaela. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you, Jenny. If you enjoyed this podcast, then we invite you to join the Dreams with Deadlines community. Dreams with Deadlines is a global network of ambitious business leaders and innovators who are passionate about using OKRs and agile practices to build high-performing cultures, achieve bold goals, and influence our world for the better. Learn more and join us at dwd.community.